Hello everyone, Cora here. Today I want to thank Tropic Skincare for bringing us this beautiful conversation I'm about to have with Noella Corsaris, tireless activist and founder of the incredible Malika Foundation. This could not be a more perfect partnership in my opinion, given that the topic Noella and I cover today is education and female empowerment, and Tropic believes in give back to this sector as much as we do. For those of you not familiar with them already, Tropic is a natural beauty brand with ethics at their core. To date, they have helped to fund over 2 million school days, 11,000 children educated for a year, and over 90 schools have been supported with their financial contributions. By working with United Schools, Tropic is helping to create a healthier, greener, and more empowered world. Every Tropic purchase, no matter how big or small, now funds education for children living in some of the world's poorest, most remote communities. To put your purchases into perspective, for every 50 pounds spent, a whole school day in either Cambodia, Nepal, or Myanmar is facilitated. By working with United Schools, Tropic is helping children find better employment and aim towards a higher purpose. I really wish more brands were this committed as we would be getting somewhere. But for now, I'm simply applauding their achievements thus far, and you can know that any purchase with Tropic will go towards a better future for children that truly need our help. Tropic aimed to be a force for good beyond beauty, and this is just such a great brand to explore if you are looking for truly effective, sustainable skincare. Head to tropicskincare.com to learn more. And now on to Noella. Noella has some incredible achievements in setting up the Malika Foundation and for being a proponent of education and community. Founded in 2007, Malika is a nonprofit organization that impacts thousands of lives in the Democratic Republic of the Congo through enhanced access to education and health programs. Noella herself is an international model and philanthropist of Congolese and Cypriot heritage. She's an ambassador for the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria, and a voice for the power of girls' education worldwide. Noella has shared her insight at a number of world-class forums, spanning the World Economic Forum in Davos to the University Halls of Cambridge, Oxford, Harvard, and MIT, and the offices of UNICEF. So obviously, I'm thrilled and honored to have her here today to speak with us at Revenver. Our conversation spans development to education and female empowerment, all of which I know we both believe is just fundamental to truly sustainable growth. I loved this conversation and I really hope you all do too. Now over to the lovely Noella. Hi Noella, thank you so much um, for coming on today. I'm really excited to, to hear all about your work and share your story. So first of all, I would just, I'd love for you to give us a bit of your personal history up until the point of starting Malika. I, I know this is quite an intimate story and would really love for our audience to hear a bit about your connection to the foundation you now run, as I think it's just really important to, to share how our lives when we are younger can, can sometimes take us into unexpected areas of, of strength and action. Thank you very much for having me in your podcast, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I was born in the Congo to Cypriot father and Congolese mother. When I was just five years old, my father passed away unexpectedly. My mother could not afford to keep me and provide me with an education, so she sent me to live with relatives in Europe. Whilst living with my family, in with my aunts in Europe, I was able to attend public school and get an education. However, it was not an easy time to be away from my mother, to have lost my father, 
I spoke to my mother on the phone a handful of times, maybe three or four times, and we exchanged a few letters, but I was not in a loving home and I didn't see my mother until I turned 18. It was a hugely challenging childhood. And even as a young child, I realized how, despite everything, I had been given a gift by being able to get an education. So I stayed really focused and worked very hard to achieve what I needed to. I returned to the Congo at the age of 18 and I saw my mother again. It was very emotional for many reasons, but one was that I was surprised to see her poor living condition. And it was during this visit that I knew I needed to do something to give back to my home country and the people there and empower them through education. I went back to Europe and completed my degree in business management. And then my friends entered me into a competition to be one of the face of Agent Provocateur and I won. From there, I went on to do many campaigns in places like New York and London, and my modeling career took off from there. I realized that I gained a platform from which I could make a difference, and in 2007, Malaika was born. It comprised a school for 370 girls that provide a holistic primary and secondary free education, including STEM, art, theater, physical education, the school provides uniforms, two meals a day, health checkup, and all the supplies that needed. We also have a community center that provides support for development program to over 5,000 adults and youth. We teach literacy and numeracy and also vocational skills, such as sewing. We have agricultural that we use to teach organic farming and provide food for the school. We also built and refurbished 20 wells to provide clean water to 30,000 locals. Malaika is a sustainable ecosystem that I'm so proud that can be duplicated in any context around the world. Sorry, that's so, that's an amazing kind of, um introduction Noella thank you so much and it's incredible sort of what you've achieved in the last you know over a decade but I I guess sort of just to put it all into context a bit more sort of when you went back to the Congo and I know that you you said that when you saw your mother again and the circumstances she was living in you know it, it really inspired you to feel as though you needed to make a change and give back in some way and I just think for our audience who might not be able to or for members of our audience who might not be able to relate to this so much, I, I just kind of love to hear about what you saw there, you know, and kind of explain to us what, you know, it, it can feel really hard when you are in the center of London or you're living in Europe and we just take for granted so much. We take for granted electricity, we take for granted the grocery store, we take for granted, I mean, a million things. So, so can you kind of give us some context about what a lot of these these girls particularly are are living like you know before they go to Malika and and what you saw those um, 12 or so years ago that really made you feel like a change needed to happen it's a very good question I noticed how many children were not in school and that a, and a high number of these were girls this isn't just a concern about the education, but the health and personal safety. Seeing my mother's poverty as well impacted me because with an education, she would have been in a different situation as an adult. 
I resolved to something about it and the dream of setting up a school for girls was planted in my heart and really the feeling to give back. Yeah. And when you, and when, so the village of Calabuca is where it's set up and, you know, it didn't previously have access to anything like clean water, electricity or educational facilities. So can you talk to us a little bit about how this impacts women particularly, you know, like what, what are the ramifications of, of, for instance, not having electricity or clean water are these things that we really just kind of have in our day-to-day -day lives that maybe we, we wouldn't understand what it is like to not have those things, basically. It's so easy, you know, to take these things for granted, like you were saying, when you have them, but a lack of electricity, clean water, and education would affect a woman in every area of life. They are more likely to experience sexual violence, marry very young, contract illness, and maternal mortality rate are high, having to walk miles to collect clean water and wash clothes by hand, let alone having no education, means it's very difficult to find safe and lucrative work to provide for uh, their families. They cannot afford to send their children to school and the cycle you know, continues and continues and continues. And I, I think I was, I was obviously, you know, researching this a little bit more and, you know, I was shocked at how many girls are, are still not given access to education in Africa. I mean, do you, how do you think that this impacts development overall within the continent? Because it, it seems like it's still in like the millions that, that young women are lacking education and I guess as you see it, how, how does that impact overall development within Africa? Because surely that's got to, that's got to be having a, a big effect. Yes, definitely. We need really to invest uh, in high quality education, very good quality education to really create the next leaders as women, as female power, that they will take control of a lot of the, the cycle of the economy of the country and the continent. But it's, we're seeing a, a shift happening in the world of women getting into power. We look at the vice presidents in America, we're looking at some key role jobs, but we want to see more and more women stepping into, taking a, a seat at the table, really uh, putting the bar very high and having key decision makers. And even the government, in my country, in Congo, all the governors are men, oh, 90%. I want to see at least 50% of men being governors and 50% of women being governor. So even out of 54 countries in Africa, how many women are president? That's so ridiculous. And that's a big, big, big gap we still have to, to fill. Well, I mean, I think that you guys are doing some amazing, amazing work towards that. And I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, I think that female representation in politics, we can get into it a little bit later, but it's, it's so important. And I guess now I know that you've got, you know, nearly 400 girls who are now benefiting from education at Malika. And I'd, I'd just love to hear about the things they are learning and how, how this is shaping a different future for them that is more open, I guess, to achievements by these young women and allowing them progression in, in this, you know, place where there's still so little representation of, of women. You know, uh, Malaika, I mean, Angel, 
uh, in Swahili. So that's the way the story starts 13 years ago. I was very determined to ensure that our curriculum mirrored that of public schools in other countries and provide, you know, a high quality education, not the bare minimum because it's Africa. So our students are learning STEM and have the use of IT and other equipment to support their learning. They are learning English, French, art, theater, physical education, as well as entrepreneurship. Our girls have been selected to the national team of tennis because we have a tennis court at our school. So that's unbelievable. We, they've been selected, uh, 20 of girls have been selected to the feminine, uh, one of the best soccer team in the country too. So our girls are really excelling and we really want to unlock what is in their in the, in, in the, in the skills, you know, if they want to be art, journal, artist, journalist or mathematician, whatever they want to do. Malaika is a leadership school. We are producing definitely the future generation of leaders who have the skill not only to work, but to innovate and create opportunities for themselves and others. The girls also participate in school and community enterprise. It's ingrained in their values to give back to the communities and country. Anna wants to be a pilot. Ilunga wants to be a businesswoman. Elise, a teacher. Louise, a computer network engineer. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Esther wants to become a doctor, her students created a government body at school, they created their own garden where they sell the vegetable and it helped the school. Yeah, I want to, I actually really want to talk to you more about um, the, the organic farm because I think that that is, I think that food and nutrition is such a huge part of this, but, you know, kind of first I, I, when I was thinking about why this is such an incredible conversation around sustainability too, it, it really came full circle for me because I'm reading this incredible book called um, Drawdown and it's all about our solutions to climate change. And, and one of the top solutions in the book, which I was you know, surprised and thrilled about was female education, which I just wanna read a short clip on um, because this is what Drawdown sort of says is the justification for that. and. They say that education shores up resilience and equips girls and women to face the impacts of climate change. They can be more effective stewards of food, soil, trees, and water, even as nature's cycles change. They have greater capacity to cope with shocks from natural disasters and extreme weather events. Today, there are economic, cultural, and safety-related barriers that impede 62 million girls around the world from realizing their right to education. And this can be changed through the following. Make schools affordable help girls overcome health barriers, reduce the time and distance to get to school, and to make schools more girl-friendly. So I'd love to have you touch upon this as somebody who's on the ground actually doing this. I mean, would you agree that these are the steps that need to be taken when it comes to your personal experience with how, how Malika is, is formed and operating for these young women? You know, before I started Malaika, I went to so many villages and every time I go to Malaika in Kalibuka, I spend hours walking in various villages and talking with the families, the kids, um, just having a sense of what is they really need and what is they're living every day. And it's always, uh, it's really, I'm, 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 I'm in a way of the resilience and the positivity. To come back, yes, to what you say, all these points, they are very essential. We need more schools that are safe and sustainable for girls. 
and like Malaika, are completely free. This year, pandemic, uh, during the pandemic, we have seen the impact of no school and on our girls afresh. It has been very difficult for them to lose the two meals a day they were having at the school. The emotional support as well as the health check. We, sadly, we sadly lost three of our students this year to preventable illness that we could have helped them overcome had they been in school. Even things like needed welly boots to come to school when the rains come is something we have to fundraise for them and is many of the barriers that can prevent girls from getting an education or when they have the periods and so on. And we really try to be there for them at every stage and every steps. When they, they're arriving at a school, you know, we give them the uniform, the socks, the shoes, the underwear, the school supplies. It's really a holistic program and that really tailored in terms of what are the needs. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's, it's also, I think, a really interesting part of the story that you tell, which is the fact that to the girls who, who come to school, you know, you encourage them to find it within themselves to one day give back. So it's very cyclical in that, you know, they are getting this education now, they are getting all of this access, but you encourage them to think about this in the long term of how they can how they can then give back throughout their lives. And how do you feel, feel the students react to this? You know, I mean, I guess it's kind of been up and running for long enough now that I'd be interested to know if you've seen the results of that or, or how, you know, is this just intrinsic to how things go? Like you're given something and then you give back or have you had problems with this model? I'd just love to hear about that. Cause I think that, um, I think that anybody that's given opportunity in life, I, I try to think about this with myself all the time, you know, what more can I do for, for the privileges I've been given? And I guess I just love to hear how this is panning out at, at Malika. It's usually empowering. They're no longer feeling like victims of their circumstances, but strong and powerful human being with value, potential, and hope that they can utilize to make the world a better place. I have no doubt that teaching them to give back is as valuable and important to their sense of self-worth as it's essential for the community and country's future development and, uh, and prosperity. You know, it's, um, I, the girls, they are so eager to learn every day. You know, when they arrive at a school, they just, uh, they grab the chance and they know they will make a difference in, in the, their life, in the community, in their country. What they're learning at school, they're going back to their home and teaching their brothers and sisters and their mothers and fathers. It's beautiful to see grow. With Malaika, we created, we, we are finalizing a toolkit where we will share with various NGO, corporate, individual, how we make happen the model of Malaika and how people and uh, companies can uh, duplicate this model. Because everything we learn via the 13 years, it's been a lot of success stories, but it's been a lot of challenges. And I would love to share what we've been through and how people can even duplicate this model and even do better. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that this is very much, you know, around the conversation that is so important is how we make these not one-off instances, but how we, how we nurture this, um, you know, and I, I'd love to also sort of hear a little bit about what the girls have, have gone off to 
to do, you know, I, um, from the sort of, from the sort of first days to, to where we are now, if there's any success stories or any, anything that you've seen that you were like, wow, that really, that was really successful. Or, you know, that young woman has done something that is incredible. I mean, I'm sure all of them in their own right have done something extraordinary, but I just, I, I love to kind of hear if there's any sort of personal anecdotes that you'd want to share with us. For me, every day is a person is, is a success story it's because you know they live under one dollar a day. Most of the girls sleep on the floor. They come every day at a school and they're so smiley, they're so positive, and seeing them emotionally growing and physically growing and having so much confidence, it's so beautiful to watch that and feeling uh, they respect what we build for them. We will have our first graduate from Malaika in uh, three years, and we're excited to see them progress and we support them in the next step into further education or work or technical school that they would like to do. Even as they progress through school, we see them achieving great things. Some of the students, like I was telling you, won the tennis tournament this year. Some of them have been selected for the football team. Two of them were selected to do a STEM program at Harvard University in summer, but with everything happening, it's been postponed. Others will go home and teach the neighborhood's children or their own brothers and sisters. During the pandemic, some of the students uh, of the third secondary have worked with a STEM team to create more than 1,500 face shields with, uh, with a 3D printer to give to more than 60 local hospitals. So that was very impressive. Not even my kids did that at their school, you know. And 98% of the students came back after the lockdown. Wow. We have a very low percentage of girls that didn't come back. That's so only two didn't come back. One moved and one unfortunately got married at a younger age. But uh, when I see statistics of all the schools in Africa, uh, more than 30, 40% didn't come back. Yeah. This is because we did a lot of work with the parents. Since we opened Malaika, we work a lot with the parents to really make them understand the, the importance of education and the importance to have the kids coming to a school. I mean, I think that that is, it's always funny because I feel like we are living in a time now and I don't know, maybe this is always it, but um, you know, that children are, are sometimes, um, you know, I see a lot of my friends have kids now and, and they're so aware of things around pollution and, and climate change and sustainability, you know, things that I was never talking about when I was young and my friends are like, you know, are, the kids are, are almost like teaching me. So I think that this is, I just think this is the future and, and it's a really, it's a really exciting and encouraging thing to hear. Um, and I guess moving on to, to the, broader community part of the thing of Malika because you know you're speaking about parents and how this is all very interconnected which of course everything is and I think that um community is something we talk about a lot at Revenvert as being essential to any work on sustainability and I'd love to hear about the different areas of where you've rolled out the school I mean obviously you mentioned them at the beginning but going more into how you guys sort of decided that it needed to be more than just a school. It needed to become a group effort and it needed to include more people. Can you just speak a bit about that and how you, how you did that? Yeah, we, with the collaboration with FIFA, 
we built the, 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 the Football for Hope Community Center. So it's our community center where we utilize sport for development programs to engage the community in a fun, competitive sport and then take the opportunity to teach them about equality, social cohesion, health. We offer them literacy and numeracy and digital and entrepreneurship classes. Out of our community center education, a business has been launched called Mama Yama Pendo, Mothers with Love. Women who came to the center and learn and read and write were also taught to do sewing and now they make accessories and bags and we sell them at the school, at the community center and the local supermarket. Through the community center, we also able to mobilize the community to take responsibility for the environment and health of the village through monthly cleanups and by planting trees. And we really, um, is a place where it's full of joy where we see for the first time a mother kick a ball doing being part of a football match and it's just so great to have to have a, to have mama annie that came that never knew how to hold a pen to read and write and now she can read she can write she has a little business of doing sewing we have another lady liana she can uh, she learned digital um, skills and she works now in a, in the shop in the center of the town where she uh, she's a cashier so we have a lot of successful stories. And definitely, you cannot teach kids without teaching the parents. It has to be all interconnected and all work together for the community. And they are the one who knows their problems. And they are the ones who knows their, their solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wanted to touch upon, as I mentioned, um, you guys are growing organic produce and you are feeding people there um and we talk a lot about nutrition and and health as being so interconnected to sustainability and proper development and can you you know how how have you seen the gardening side of things going and, and the fact that people are having maybe more access to locally grown clean produce than before has have you seen this make a big impact Yes, and to finish on the point before, I will say that the community, um, it has brought the community together and give them, you know, a belief of hope of their capacity to elevate themselves. They are beautiful, they are wise, they're creative people who have the potential, you know, to achieve amazing things together. And more than ever with this crisis, they come, um, over the years, they think that for themselves and more. It's definitely a model for me that... Um, community all over the world has to come together, not only in Kanebuka. You know, we grow our own food at our, at, our, um, at our programs and the food we're growing go to the canteen of the school and we're able to feed 370 kids and plus 40 uh, people of the staff. And we teach organical farming to our students, to the youth and to the, um, and to the community. And we see at the community center, some kids are very eager to learn, but they've never been to school. So we teach them at a community center and we have more than 25 kids from this center that we sent to, to, uh, to local schools. 70% uh, uh, are boys and 30% are girls. Girls that are around eight, 10 or 12 that never been to school. So it's really um, centralized or how we can help them to really uh, materialize that they go to school and, and learn skills. Or, and some of them, we send them to technical school, like mechanical school or painting. 
and it's, it's so good because they, they grab the chance. Yeah. And, and, and I know you've mentioned like several times now the, the, the desire and the belief that this should be rolled out across many places. And I guess, how do you see that? How do you see that happening? You know, is it just leading by example and continuing to do what you do well, or do you have more plans as to how, how this can be, you know, imparted to more areas um, and rolled out successfully? Because it just sounds, you know, like hearing it now, I know that I'm oversimplifying things tremendously, but it, it just seems like a no brainer, you know, like, um, this, this should be a model that is, you know, brought to as many people as possible um, to give everyone resources and, and a, a really strong chance for a great future. So how do you, how do you see this developing and, and rolling out over the years to come? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy in Malaika. It's not easy at all. It costs us nearly $400,000 per year to run all the programs. I lead Malaika on a volunteer basic. I don't take any salary. But to fundraise, and fundraise even now that people cannot do events, run marathon, it's, it's crazily insane difficult. I don't see myself uh, duplicating this, pro this uh, program that we have. I'm seeing giving the model and what we have as Malaika is really strengthening what we have, our curriculum, updating constantly our curriculum, um, leverage our management team, training, the training continue for our teachers, it's so important, and to work more with technology, technology tools. This is where we have the areas. And one of my little dreams that I would love to do at Malaika is to have like few classrooms where we can teach technical because more than 80% of the youth in the village don't have a job and didn't go to school. And it's very important to kind of recycle them and put them in the job market and create a middle class that don't really exist in Africa and in the Congo. But um, so where we are, it's really... I believe more in quality than quantity. Through Malaika, we've been able to push the government to make the road, to build the road up to the village. So 70% of the road has been made and it brought a completely economical growth in the village and in the area. And it's fantastic. Sometimes, you know, you ask to, people ask what you're gonna do next, 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 next. And with this crisis, even more than ever, you stop, I, I never thought in my life, I never dreamed in my life that I would be able, with the amazing team that we have, be able to achieve what we're doing every day on basic. We're touching thousands of lives every day. And for me, it's, uh, it's, um, it's it, after my two kids, this is my, I'm very proud. Well, I mean, you should be. And I, I, it actually leads me very well onto my next question. And it is the fact to speak to the fact that you are a mother to two young children of your own. And, you know, I, I would love to, and I'm sure, you know, we've got a lot of mothers here at Rev. Um, and I would, I would love to hear about how you are engaging your kids with the work that you do and involving them and, and how you think that this might possibly shape their own futures in the years to come, seeing, seeing their mother out there and exposing them to, to, work, to incredible work like this and taking them places that are unexpected. Um, 
you know, how do you see it? How do you see it impacting them? My two children, uh, JJ and Kara, they, they have a Swahili name. My, my son is JJ Mapendo. My daughter is Kara Nyota. They know a lot, a lot about my work because I take them to Congo with me every summer for six weeks. They go every day, nearly every day in the village. They have their friends, they play, they, 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 they don't see barriers, they don't see colors, they don't, they're just having fun and they want to help. My son told me, mommy, the area where my, some of my friends live, there's no water. So we built a well in his, in his name, it was nice, Mapendo well. My daughter, the same, they, they go to their friends, pick them up, they say, mom, they don't have a lot of food, they sleep on the floor. So we buy their mattress and every summer, they can choose a few projects that they want to do there. So my son and my daughter was the wells, and then they wanted to help five of their friends buy their masters and food and bringing clothes for them and books. So they participate in activities there, helping making friends with the students and with the kids in the village. They see for themselves the impact of Malaika is having in the community, and they are becoming little entrepreneurs themselves, donating their birthdays to Malaika, engaging with the student virtually and in person when we visit. I think they recognize, you know, their own privilege and can appreciate the opportunities that they have from a young age. They recognize the power that they have to bring good to other people's lives and it's a responsibility. And uh, they speak a lot about in their own school here in England about uh, what Malaika is. And the fact that we couldn't go this, uh, this summer was very, very sad for them because they missed not only my mother and my sisters, but they miss the entire summer of full of activities and, and things they do uh, with me over there. I mean, it's, it's, it's really incredible to hear, though, that at such young ages, um, you know, they're already making impacts in their own ways. And I think also bringing that conversation back here to England, I think the fact that you touched upon that is, is extremely important. And one of the reasons I was so excited to, to chat to you today, because I think that, you know, my next question is sort of, you know, obviously anyone listening can donate and we will make sure that all the links to do so are in the episode notes. But, you know, to really further engage with female education and empowerment and all of these things you're working towards, you know, what, what would you say is, is sort of the best thing that we, we can do here in the UK or wherever people are listening to, although maybe remotely, support support more equality and empowerment in the world, you know, in a larger sense, I guess. So what is it like, exactly the question that you want me to answer? <laughs> I'm sorry, that, I tend to get long-winded a little bit when I'm, you know, excited about something. I guess it's just how, other than donating, how can the listeners of this conversation become involved in the goal of female empowerment and education around the world, basically, or specifically here in Africa? I would say um, for Malaika is to share the, the, you can spread the word, you can follow us on social media, you can uh, sign up for her newsletter, you can organize a virtual dinner, you can run, when everything go back to normal, you can run a marathon, run a class, yoga class, you can come to volunteer on the ground, you can sponsor a girl a month, a year, you can contribute to school supplies, to a program, to a STEM program, to the nutrition program, you can come if you have skills of teaching, 
you can come to um, to train our teachers you can fundraise for the school supplies so there's many ways and um, you know we say you do girls but we do girls yes but we do a lot of things for boys at the community center we all need to push for equality we all need to push for education access to clean water to infrastructures to um and and i and be living together as a, as a, as a community. And I think what is very important too, it's um, to really push our government to keep investing to in education in our own country. I live here in England. I see the educational system of a school here of uh, when we got the COVID-19 crisis. We have a lot of work to here to do back home. And before you want to donate and give, First of all, I always advise people, be really happy with yourself and don't put too much pressure on you to help because it's not given to everybody to help like on a larger scale, but you can help on a smaller scale, help your neighbors, help your school, help your community, help your grandparents, help an elderly um, center uh, in your area. So there's a lot of different ways where you can always contribute in, in, our, in our society. So many people lose their job. And if you are bored at home, you can always give your skills for so many foundation. You know, they say that five foundation out of 10 will not survive this year. It's insanely sad. Yeah, it, it's a really big problem. And I, I think that was sort of just something I really quickly did want to want to cover, Noelle. It's just, you know, that and you kind of already touched upon it, but what what impact, I guess, from COVID, you know, with the setback and stuff, what what's the future? Because I think everybody right now is trying to figure out how you pivot, right? You know, it's like, okay, if things aren't going well, um, how do we change course? And, and do you feel that this pandemic has affected Malika in any ways that are, are new and emerging? Or is it just sort of getting straight back to business as usual as quickly as possible? No, no, we've been impacted. We've been impacted financially. We've been impacted hugely emotionally because we lost three girls. Uh, Leah, little Noella, Esther, Annie, all under 12 years old. So it showed you the importance of a work when they were not at the school or community center. We don't have, we don't control the health or the, the nutrition uh, programs, you know. So they eat maybe twice a week when they're not uh, with us. And the fact that we lost three girls was so emotionally trained. For me, it's my, life, it's my worst year of running Malaika. And we lost one of the coach. Um, Paul, Paul, he died like a few weeks ago. So it's been very, 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 very tough. When the COVID-19 arrived, the price of the food in Africa and in Congo completely jumped. And some families couldn't afford anymore to buy food. So we put an emergency fund for food every Tuesday and Thursday. We were distributing food for the community and we reached nearly 6,000 people. And we make sure that uh, at our 20 wells, we were bringing awareness and educational uh, pro uh, services about uh, how to wash your hands, hygiene, uh, and etc. So we've been, uh, we've been, we went a step, few steps more to really be there for, um, for the community. We hope our school will still be open for, uh, for a few more weeks and months because uh, Africa has not been affected as Europe. But uh, that's uh, that's one of our uh, our challenge and our fear. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I can safely say that everybody's, you know, thoughts and and prayers are just, you know, with with so many people now. But I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. And I guess what what do you feel is, you know, as I think my kind of final question is, what's what's next in 2021? You know, let's let's be optimistic that um that things eventually turn around. I'm really encouraged by the two different vaccines that came out in the last week. And, you know, what are your, what are your hopes for, for 2021 and, um, you know, beyond that we can kind of get behind and, and support? You know, one thing that was really amazing when the lockdown happened, um, every six primary in the Congo have to pass the national test. So we went to distribute manually because there's no electricity in a village. We went to distribute manually the homework and the preparation of the exam all over the village. And uh, we opened the school and two weeks later in August, they had to pass the national test. And the sixth primary passed entirely 100% rate, the national test. And we took this year uh, 10 girls very bright from the fifth primary and they passed the national test too. So that was a big uh, victory and triumph for us because they did that in a, an amazing uh, challenge. And uh, that show you that when you work so hard and you have the correct team, it's, uh, it's really, things can happen. 2020, 21, I think it will be still a lot of challenges and we will have, we do still have to do a lot of catch up even in our curriculum with our students and with our teachers. But we have all to be positive and we all still have to work together. For me, it was a lot of nightmares because when I see all our donations going down, it was a big fear because we still have to pay our teachers, our staff. We know them. I know them since more than 10, 12 years. And uh, they have families. And my biggest concern was to pay them to make sure that they can contribute to their families. And we survived this big crisis, but uh, it's still many moments of that's going to be tough and uh, we work um, very carefully but Congo has a history of uh, of Ebola of uh, of um, economical war where we got six million people that died so it's a population that very very resilient and I learned a lot from them and I'm a leader in the foundation and I try to not show so much my I show my emotion but I have to be a strong leader to make sure that uh, everybody keep pushing and working hard. And we are positive because we have 370 girls that depend on us and we have an entire community that depend on us and uh, we want to be there for them and we want to fight for them. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you so much Nala, for, for everything that you're doing. It's, it's like, an, it's just such an incredibly inspiring enterprise and as i said i'm going to put all the donation links where people can follow you everything in the show notes they can go from malaika.org and follow us on social media and um, and visit us and come to work at the school it's a very great experience that would be amazing so i will make sure that everybody's got that and then finally i remember when we spoke last week you mentioned that you were going to be doing something for your birthday i don't know if you want to want to talk about that just so everybody can put it in their diaries Yes, the 17th of December, we will uh, celebrate my virtual birthday. It's going to be a way of fundraising for, um, for uh, Malaika. So every year, anyway, we are donating my birthday. So this year is very exciting. 
And uh, in the lock after the lockdown, if you fancy branding clothes, we did a wear care campaign with her, where a lot of uh, powerful women donated uh, the outfit, and all the renting of these clothes uh, go to Malaika. We have from Vanessa Kingorich in Sapong and in Newton, Natalia Vadionova, Maria Borges, Bozoma and John. We have a lot of amazing women that are donating the clothes. So it's a different ways too that you can. Uh, contribute to uh, to Malaika. I guess after lockdown, we all need to wear our heels and go to a nice dinner and see our friends. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we are huge fans of her um, at Rev and, and, you know, renting is such a great way to have a sustainable wardrobe as well. And look at our planet. But we do love uh, to, to support to a fashion brand. Exactly. Well, all right. Well, then December 17th, we're putting it in the diary um, for birthday fundraisers. And, you know, just thank you. Thank you so much, Noella. And um, I want to keep chronicling the work you're doing on Rev and, and keep everybody posted. So I promise to do that on our side. And, and thank you so much for taking the time to, to have this conversation with me and share your story. No, thank you to you and uh, I hope we can meet face to face and anything I can do, uh, um, I'll be there and it's so great for me to see uh, that the girls at work, the hard work of the staff, uh, of, of, of my colleagues are being showcases because when I talk it's not about me, it's about what all everybody's doing and I cannot thank enough all our supporters all over the world that have been supporting over 13 years. I hope in real we could celebrate our 15 years. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, thank, thank you so much. Huh? Yeah, I'll speak to you soon and take care. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye.